You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko, along with your host, James Rapine. It's officially the offseason, James. The Super Bowl is in the rearview mirror. And instead of Mock Draft Monday today, we're going to have a special episode, a special guest, Mike Renner from PFF, their head of all things draft and college scouting, will be joining us coming up in just a few minutes. But before then, James, let's talk a little bit about the Super Bowl and the one bit of Bengals news, which is that former running backs coach Jamal Singleton, who still hasn't been replaced, by the way, went to UK, the University of Kentucky, very briefly and is now back in the NFL in Philadelphia. And he's got an assistant head coach title for those Philadelphia Eagles. How about that for Jamal Singleton? I mean, he... His contract runs out with the Bengals. He takes a running backs coach job in Lexington for the University of Kentucky. And less than a month later, he's the assistant head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Move not official uh, as of now of of its recording. But Matt Jones of Kentucky Sports Radio, who's obviously really plugged into UK Wildcats, reported it. And uh, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. If you're Jamal Singleton, it's exactly what you want as you rise up the ranks. He only has five years of NFL coaching experience, uh, almost a decade and a half in college, but it's uh, a quick rise for him, a a good opportunity and you wish him the best. But I I think the thing that Bengals fans are wondering now, Jake is, well, when the hell are they going to, are the Bengals going to replace Jamal Singleton because they still don't have a running backs coach. And you wonder if they've got the guy lined up and they just haven't announced it yet or or what the deal is. I'm not really too concerned about it, but it is strange. I guess that that they haven't filled out the the room yet. I guess they don't anticipate major changes at the running back position. They've got their run game coordinator and Frank Pollock. They're not going to have players in the facility anytime soon. So what's the rush? I mean, I guess it would be draft and free agency preparation. Whoever the next running backs coach is should get his word in on Samaje Piran, Giovanni Bernard, etc. You know, do they think that? Travion Williams can step into that second running back role and and shed Geo's contract or not. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, speaking of shedding Geo's contract, James, you've been talking up this trade to Tampa. I don't know if we've ever mm-hmm. talked about it on air, but every time we stop recording, you're like, I'm telling you, man, they're gonna Tampa is gonna need a running back to catch the ball. They're gonna they're gonna need it. They're gonna realize it in the Super Bowl. I think they did okay. I, I I have a confession to make to, to those of you that don't follow me on Twitter. I didn't watch the Super Bowl. I, I haven't had a chance to watch a Super Bowl yet. Uh, unfortunately, I had a migraine headache yesterday that put me out of commission. I was able to look at a screen. I was able to look at my phone and see what the score was like around the time the fourth quarter started. But from what I can tell... The pass rush, and we talked about this avenue for Tampa to win the game. The pass rush got to Pat Mahomes in a big way, and the game script went in, in, a, in, a, in a direction where the, the Tom Brady Buccaneers didn't have to play from behind, and they were able to, you know, they, their first two drives, they didn't score. Two, three and outs to start the game. If Kansas City scores touchdowns on those two drives, you wonder how different the game is, but... 
Tampa came out with a game plan on defense that worked. They got that pass rush home. And Pat Mahomes looked uncomfortable the entire game. I was shocked that Andy Reid didn't have a curveball. Right. Didn't have uh, uh, something else in his arsenal. You knew yeah. your offensive line was going up against Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul and and Dominic Sue and, and all those guys, Vitavia, all those guys that uh, make it tough in the trenches for Tampa. And so I was surprised, and that's why I always thought the the Chiefs' offense, regardless of the outcome, I still thought they were going to score. And you could argue they should have definitely had some drops. Travis Kelsey had a big drop in the first half. Uh, Tyreek Hill had what would have been an amazing catch, but he had one that he probably does normally make a play on that di- that he didn't. Uh, there were a couple of those. And that, that's not even including the the fourth quarter mm-hmm. where Mahomes is just doing that backyard style, just try to make a play and almost did a couple times, right? And so, yeah, the the thing that a lot of people are going to be talking about was the the Bucks defense. But, but, Jake, I was surprised at how crisp – the Bucks offense was after those first two possessions that you mentioned, because after that it was like, all right, we're buttoned up. We're not going to make mistakes. Brady was 16 of 20 at halftime, 80% had three touchdowns and, and they got the running game going. They were nice and balanced. And when they were able to do that, it was just kind of like, wow, like they're, they're, they're going to be really, really tough to stop. And, and the other thing that stood out to me was Andy Reed calling a couple timeouts before the end of the first half, giving the Bucks more time, a couple penalties that people are whining about, but the Bucks outplayed the, the Chiefs anyway, so I'm not going to complain about the officiating. But then Tampa scores right before ha- the half. And, and I, I thought that that was such a momentum changer, and much like it was in the NFC Championship when they scored before the half, it really gave uh, the Bucks the exact game script that you want to, to put Mahomes and the Chiefs in a, a tough position. I think that that really can't be overstated. The the way that the game script developed for the Patriots was perfect. Not the Patriots, man. Look at me go. The the Tom <laughs> Brady Buccaneers was perfect, and and Tom Brady down there in Tampa had everyone believing they were going to win the game. I think that's the biggest contribution Tom Brady had in this game. He played fine. He 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 was Tom Brady, right? But it wasn't his best Super Bowl performance. I don't think by by any means, but. That whole team, man, if you got Tom Brady on your team, you're going to believe you're going to win a Super Bowl, man. He's done it seven times now. Tom Brady, more national football championships than any other team, or more Super Bowl wins specifically than any other team, than any team in the history of the NFL because he's done it. He did six with the Patriots and, and obviously now has done the one in Tampa. So an, an accomplishment for your guy, James, but a, a true a true team effort. I think for Tampa and I think that that case study that the Jason licked Tampa Bay Buccaneers case study is going to be very interesting because this was a team that was not made overnight despite appearances that Tom Brady got there and suddenly they're winning. This was years in the making and they did it through the draft and they did it through free agency. So a masterclass in team building and one worth talking about as we're thinking about the way the Bengals are going to build this team going forward. Speaking of building the team going forward, we're joined by PFF Mike, Mike Renner. We're going to talk about the draft and what direction the Bengals can go coming up next. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on any sports action you could possibly imagine. They've got cross sport props. They even have awards 
TV shows, reality TV, and they've got real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline.ag has a special welcome bonus right now for all of our listeners. When you use promo code LOCKEDON when you sign up, they'll give you a 50% match on your initial deposit. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best place to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head on over to that website and use that promo code Locked On to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. James and I are happy to welcome back onto the show Mike Renner at PFF underscore Mike on Twitter, the pro football focus lead draft analyst. And we've all just watched the NFL season come to a conclusion with Patrick Mahomes somehow meeting his match. And you had a great tweet about this that uh, Eric and George mentioned on their post-game podcast, which I really liked, by the way. They did a great job. And you said if Patrick Mahomes can manage to to put up, what, 35 points and win this Super Bowl with this offensive line, the, the rest of the league might as well pack it up for a few years. And the Bucks had an answer. Pretty, pretty impressive stuff. I want to talk a little bit about the draft, but when you look at the way these two teams got there, what are your big takeaways and, and what do you think the NFL is taking away from the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers upending Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl? Is it, a, is it a signal of vulnerability or is it just, hey, maybe we can go get Tom Brady and win a Super Bowl too? No, I mean, I, the tweet was kind of my thoughts about going into the Super Bowl that the Kansas City Chiefs were overmatched. Like that was the single biggest mismatch in the game. The offensive line Bengals fans should know this all too well. When you have five guys up front who are all overmatched in their one-on-ones, that's the recipe for disaster for an offense. You cannot operate an offense with that. And I don't care if you're Patrick Mahomes with Andy Reid as your offense coordinator. You just cannot uh, in this in any sort of in this day and age in the NFL where you have to pass. And that's obviously a, a big problem in the run game too when you're overmatched at all five of those positions. But like, you really just aren't going to win games in the NFL when you have that level of bad offensive line. You don't need elite offensive line to win the NFL, but you're not going to win games when it's at that caliber. I don't care what your surrounding talent is. So that was my biggest takeaway. To me, it's more of a fluke. Like you had the injuries, both tackle positions, interior uh, was never good to begin with. So like that to me is the biggest takeaway. It's just that you can't bottom out at your offensive line and expect to even field a competitive team in today's NFL. I think Bengals fans are nodding and saying that Patrick Mahomes got a uh, a taste of what it was like to be Joe Burrow in his rookie season behind the Bengals offensive line. Mike, how should the Bengals go about? Because I think it's obvious it's their biggest weakness. It's something they have to address. How do you want them, if you were their GM, how would you address the offensive line this offseason? I would sign at least someone in free agency. T- guard, tackle, wherever. I would sign at least some veteran to not, again, not bottom out. You can't be throwing out Billy Price. You can't be throwing out the worst guard tandem in the NFL. That's just, you're not going to win games. Like, you you cannot have both those guys be a liability to lose every single snap. Like, you just have to have some sort of steadiness up front. So I would sign at least one. But I think also you have to address it in the draft with some long-term young talent. I, I think it's a super deep tackle class. You don't necessarily have to do it at five. You can get a guy in the second round as well that's probably capable of stepping right, stepping in right away and starting. 
So I think one in free agency, one in the draft, and then, you know, pray that some of the, the young guys you do have on the roster, Akima Dinesha, obviously John Williams have already played well, but like some of those young guys take another step forward. And you hope Joe Burrow's back healthy too, and you don't get Mike Jordan walked back into his knee again. You just put up a piece on PFF with ideal early and late round fits. So you have an ideal early round fit for the Bengals as Penny Sewell, which is no surprise to anybody, and late round fit of another Cincinnati guy, James Hudson. So you're very much, I think, on the on the tackle train. Say the Bengals go out there in free agency and and they only get a guy like Joe Tooney, who some people are speculating wants to be back in Ohio. I've actually had family members of Joe Tooney say they would like to have him back in Ohio. So we'll see. I think money is going to talk for Joe Tooney, who might be one of the top guards on the market. But if that's all they do, and Penny Sewell is gone at number five, is there a tackle that I know Rashawn Slater is pretty high for the league, it seems like the league likes him more than a lot of, you know, the the non-league sources, guys like Daniel Jeremiah saying, you know, Slater might be the best tackle in the class. Brandon Thorne today put out a piece that that seemed to think, you know, he doesn't think it's particularly close with how young Sewell was doing what he did. Is there another tackle in this class worthy of the of the fifth overall pick in your eyes? I don't think so. I, I would not go tackle if I stay at five. Ideally, you can get someone to move up, and then you draft two tack- two tackles or two offensive linemen. Like get depth there, get a if you're trading back down in the first, get a, another second or another third or whatever it would take. Uh, figure out the trade value later. But like, if you can get two picks and then get two linemen with that pick, that would be your ideal. If it's not Penny Sewell, because I just don't think the difference between Rayshon Slater, who's second overall tackle on our board still. Between him, though, and Christian Derrissaw, Tevin Jenkins, Elijah Vera Tucker, guys you can probably get down around the 20 mark in the first round. It's not that big. Like, it is not that big a chasm to between, whereas the difference between Penny Sewell and Rashawn Slater, in my eyes, is huge. Obviously, DJ, I think Lance Deerline has Rashawn Slater higher. I think they're crazy. I'm going to try to get them on the podcast to tell them they're crazy, <laughs> see why they have that. But, like, Penny Sewell is a freak of nature, what he can do athletically. Yeah, he's not a finished product by any means, but like what 19-year-old is. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you, Mike. So let's let's focus on Sewell because I think Bengals fans, heck, their Monday night game against the Steelers that they won way back in week 15, there was a Sewell sign um, at, at Paul Brown Stadium. So fans have certainly been paying attention to him even though he opted out. Uh, you obviously feel like he's uh, worthy of the the fifth overall pick. What are the odds he is there? at number five, given the the current climate with quarterbacks and uh, what this draft class looks like? I will say they're kind of in luck in the teams that are ahead of them and that obviously the Jaguars going quarterback. I think the Jets would be crazy not to go quarterback at their own right. And then they have the Dolphins at three who just drafted two tackles last year. You know, Austin Jackson, the first round, Robert Hunt, I believe in the third round, I want to say might have been the second. I think it was the third round. They just drafted two rookie tackles. They have two tackles. And then the fourth is the Atlanta Falcons, who have obviously Jake Matthews at left tackle and Caleb McGarry at right tackle. Two first rounders there at tackle, like may not go Penny Sewell. I'm of the opinion, though, that I think logic and reason is going to play out for one of those two teams and that they'll be like, hey, Penny Sewell is different than what we got at tackle right now. We just saw what happened to the Chiefs, whatever. 
I think we should go get Penny Soul just so our offensive line has that kind of baseline of quality play. So I do think I'd just be very hard pressed to pass on him for any other position player. I don't care what my roster looks like. And we've talked about these possibilities when we do our own mock draft simulations on your mock draft simulators or elsewhere. It, it seems like everyone is projecting right now that there's going to be this flurry of trade activity. The teams are going to be trading up to go get a quarterback this year after, you know, you see what Josh Allen turned into. You see what Justin Herbert did in his rookie year. Patrick Mahomes, another example of these high tools guys that have worked out in the NFL in recent years. It seems like they're hitting a little bit more frequently. Now, there's obviously a Deshaun Watson sweepstakes to happen. If he gets traded to one of those teams in the top four, then the Texans probably use that pick on a quarterback. But we'll see what happens with Carson Wentz, too. We'll see what happens with the quarterback moving around the league. What makes this year different in terms of last year, we thought we might see some teams trade up for, for Tua. Maybe the Dolphins would have to trade up to secure Tua, or the Chargers would have to trade up to secure whatever quarterback they were after. Is there a difference this year with these guys that, that is going to make them more immediately attractive to NFL teams to really light that fire for them to want to trade up? I think a couple of the guys you mentioned there are what's different this year. One being Deshaun Watson, you know, he falls to 12. I think you have, you know, 10 of the 11 teams ahead of them kicking themselves that he fell to 12. Obviously the other one being Patrick, the team that drafted Patrick Holmes being the only one like the teams are realizing that, Oh, last year missing out on Justin Herbert, like everyone wants a do-over in that and even the Carson Wentz bringing up Carson Wentz if he actually retains a first round pick on a second contract you can get that back for him it just shows how much teams value the quarterback position not in the draft like after the draft post-draft when they're building a team you're still going to give up a first rounder for a guy who's one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL just because he played well for you know a year and a half when he had one of the best situations in the NFL Teams are going to still, they just retain their value so much that I think teams are realizing that, hey, we can take another swing at this because you need to be, it's just the position you have to be good at. Like the final four quarterbacks in the championship games this year were four of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL this season. Like you just have to have high quality to elite performance at that position if you want to even be in the conversation for a consistent Super Bowl contender. I think teams are realizing that more and more. And if you're drafting in the top five, in the top four, like things didn't go well. Like they they probably weren't great at the quarterback position or around him to where I, I do think teams are sort of realizing that, you know, take that chance in the quarterback. It, it's never sort of like the sort of downside of doing it is so low uh, of picking one and missing if you're willing to sort of give up on them and keep addressing it. Up next, we'll continue our conversation with Mike Renner. There's nothing worse than having unreliable transportation. The good news is, is you can make sure you keep your car on the road, regardless of what you're dealing with, with rockauto.com. Not only do they have parts for over hundreds of car makers, but you save money when you order the parts that you need. It doesn't matter if it's just a simple filter. Maybe you need windshield washer fluid this winter it doesn't matter how simple how small or how big your project might be you can get the parts you need at rockauto.com they've been serving auto parts customers online for more than two decades 
check out their entire selection at rockauto.com. They have auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. And the best part, you're going to save money. Their prices are always reliably low. Don't spend up to twice as much for the same parts. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. And be sure to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson host Locked On's Peacock and Williamson every Monday through Friday. Brian and Matt give you the national perspective all around the NFL, covering the latest news and insight on every game, team, and move around the league. Get your picks, previews, and more every weekday with the Peacock and Williamson podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe where you ever get your podcasts, which obviously if you're listening to this one, we hope you subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's keep things going with Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus. And Mike, obviously it goes without saying, you along with I think the majority of the Bengals fan base think Penny Soul is a no-brainer with the fifth pick. Let's say he's not there. And the Bengals potentially address tackle and free agency with some kind of veteran where do you think they should go at number five? Do they go with one of those wide receivers or a skill player? Yeah, I don't I wouldn't pigeonhole myself into to Jamar Chase per se. He would be who I would pick if I were there just because of the obvious connection he has with Joe Burrow. The sure. fact that he can win down the football field is the thing that basically like Joe Burrow's actually numbers on the football field weren't great. He also didn't have a lot of favorable opportunities going down the football field. Jamar Chase would give you those. I don't think you can necessarily go wrong with this top trio of wide receivers, though, like Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith. I think all three of those guys are going to be studs in the NFL. They are <laughs> elite prospects. You pick one of those guys. I don't think you're going to have regret. This isn't was 2017. This isn't John Ross, Corey Davis and Mike Williams. This is a much <laughs> more solid group of wide receivers, in my opinion, at least that, that are going to go in the top 10 to 15 picks. So. That's where I would go. I don't think there are a lot of other options. Cal Pitts is possibly, but like, I don't know if that offense is built for tight end usage. You know, necessarily. I don't, I don't know if you're going to get the bang for your buck there. Now I'd love to be wrong. I think he's a special talent. He's a more special talent at the tight end position. than I think any of these wide receivers are at the wide receiver position, but I just get wary about going, tight end at number five unless you're really willing to kind of you know feature that position or feature a guy like that and use his flexibility in your offense is it fair to say that the the big three this year at wide receiver is ahead of the big three last year because when i look at at these three guys it looks like they might be ahead of a you know the cd lamb the rugs uh who am i forgetting jerry judy uh if you look at it that way even though you know wide receivers four through six last year with higgins iook uh, Jefferson obviously might have been better. Yeah, I think, gosh, that's tough. I, I, I think there's, I feel better about these three now. I felt really good about Judy and Lamb. And then after that, it was far more like Rugs was, people put him in that tier. I didn't see it. Like, I, I didn't see a complete wide receiver. And obviously, the stats didn't bear out. There, there were more question marks about that. These guys don't have production concerns, they don't really have athleticism concerns. Really, the only concern is Devontae Smith. And his size, like that's the only concern any of those top guys have. So, uh, yeah, I, I think this trio as kind of a whole is better, even though I'm not sure, like of all six, I might still say I'd rather have Jerry Judy above all of them. 
That's a couple of pretty special draft classes, though. You When you think about how good last year's wide receivers are, and we're talking about a group this year that at the top at least stacks up with them, I think that's pretty impressive just for the direction of college football, I guess. I mean, people talk about it. It's increasingly a seven-on-seven sport in college football, and all the all these elite athletes are gravitating to, to the perimeter positions now. And it'll be interesting to see how that continues to develop over the next 10 years or so to see if those wide receivers just keep getting better and we keep having these special classes and what that would do then in turn to wide receiver positional value in the NFL. I just think that'll be interesting to monitor. Any thoughts there before we get to the second round about those trends in college football with the wide receiver position and and if this is in fact a trend or if this is just a blip or a flash in the uh, flash in the pan? I think it's a trend to some degree. Like kids are playing seven on seven earlier. Passing is more prevalent at high school, more prevalent at the college game. You're just getting more finished products because you're getting more reps. But I also will say these two classes are special. You might not see classes like these two for another decade. Like next year's class is not as good. At, like Chris Olave came back to school from Ohio State because he might be the top receiver in yeah. next year's class. And he would have been, you know, number five on our board, I think, in this year's class. Like th- there's not it's not all of a sudden like the it just every year is going to be six, seven first rounders. I don't think next year is going to be close. Does, does Olave going back to school this year remind you at all of Devonte Smith going back to school at Alabama last year? I, I don't think Olave's that kind of wide receiver. Like I, Devonte Smith has, you know, ridiculous wingspan contested catch guy. Like Olave's good in that regard, but he's more of a pure route runner. Uh, not really a yak guy either. I, I don't think it's, I, I don't think he's going to see that meteoric of a rise that Devonte Smith did. Yeah, that's fair for, for me. The comparison was just like Devonte Smith was a second round guy and I really okay, wanted yeah, him last that's... year. Olave second round guy that I would have targeted this year. And now he's going back and we'll see what happens for him. You know, he might now be the best wide receiver next year's class kind of thing. But anyway, Let's let's talk about the second and third rounds a little bit. Who are your favorite ideas for the Bengals in the second and third rounds this year? You talked about Elijah Vera Tucker. He might be in the first round at this point. What about second round offensive linemen? Maybe they go cornerback. Who are your favorite targets in that range? Do you think that are good fits with Zach Taylor and Lou Anarumo in Cincinnati? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned, uh, gosh, uh, Hudson from Cincinnati, James Hudson, the tackle could probably stay in a guard uh, early on in his career. I think he would be a great fit for them. I think on the defensive side of the ball, cornerback is where I would target wholesale. Uh, there's, and I think day two is the spot to do it in this class. Like day one, if you don't get in on Caleb Farley or Patrick Sertan, which top five pick, I, I'm not drafting either of those guys. I, I think I wait then till probably the third round to address cornerback and, Draft one of the athletes in this class. I think he just needs some more athleticism in that position. A guy like Ifitu Melifonwu from Syracuse is a fantastic athlete. Obviously, Obi Melifonwu's brother, who was the combine freak in his own right, Ifitu's probably going to be similar. He did well for himself senior bowl. And then the other guy I would highlight is um, Tay Gowan from UCF. One of my favorites. One of my favorite sleepers in this class. The guy is probably 6'2". He's probably going to run in the 4'3". Anytime a guy is 6'2 and runs in the 4'3", it's hard not to fall in love with them because that just gives you so much leeway. That's cornerback position. Um, and I think we've seen 
even more so in today's NFL with guys like Legereus Sneed hitting the ground running this year, that speed at the cornerback position is kind of like your only recourse sometimes. Like you're playing catch up against these modern offenses and what they're throwing at you. You have to be able to, you just, you can't throw, I don't think, any more guys who are th- running four, six plus out there and expect to, uh, you know, have a good uh, coverage unit on the back end. Where's the value, Mike, in this draft uh, at the edge position? You know, there's no high-end edge guy that we think is going to go in the top three or four. Uh, Bengals obviously need to to improve their pass rush. Where where should fans expect them to to start to target that area? Yeah, so the thing about edge is pretty much it's one of those positions where the NFL is good at identifying the guys who will succeed, kind of like quarterback. Like the NFL doesn't always hit on earlier on quarterbacks, but the guys that are good for the vast majority of the past you know, decade where the guys drafted in the early rounds. That's similar at the edge position. The NFL can identify the size, length, athleticism profile that it takes to succeed on the edge. So you're going to want to draft in the first, second round. If you're waiting longer, Carl Lawson's of the world are rare. Like that's an injury that he fell down boards because of that. Guys like that usually do not fall late and still be productive. You want early on. So I do think second round pick, if you really want an edge rusher, that's where I would go, and I think that's where the value is in this class. There's probably about six or seven guys who are true athletic, you know, have all the physical tools sort of guys, but I don't think there's a single one who's put it all together in like a way Chase Young did, obviously Nick Bosa, or, or even Josh Allen did the year prior to that, or even Brian Burns. Like, There's no guy that's that polished of an edge rusher, but there's a lot of guys who have that, like I said, that physical skill set that has been shown to translate from college to the pro at the edge position. So I, I think at the top of the second round, if you can get someone like maybe not Jalen Phillips with the concussion concerns, the Miami guy, but if you can get someone like a Carlos Basham out of Wake Forest, who you know was number two on Bruce, Bruce Feldman's freaks list last summer, but didn't have the best of senior years. But when you're six foot two, 280 with, you know, almost 33 inch arms, that that's a good profile uh, with that level of explosiveness. That's a good profile when projecting from college to the pros. And I really like that Basham kicked inside of the senior bowl and Hey, the Bengals have had success with second round Carlos is at the edge. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate that either. It sounds like there might be a blueprint here where they address offensive line a little bit in free agency. They get a playmaker in the first round, they go edge rusher in the second round, they go, they go maybe corner or offensive line in the third round. Maybe they trade back and do both of those things in the second round starting to come together, starting to be a little bit of a plan here. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) It's just that easy, right? You just have to hit on your draft picks and sign free agents that don't get hurt and contribute to your team. Imagine that. But speaking of, I guess, risk factors, no combine this year. And a lot of guys like Penny Sewell, like Rayshon Slater, missing a year of tape. How is that factoring into your evaluations? and, And how much harder is that for you then when you don't get to see that extra year of progression for the last year, these guys would have been prospects. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. And, and like it, the less information on you, you have as a guy, on a guy, especially for us here at PFF where we preach about sample size and, you know, every play mattering, that sort of thing. Our, our projections are going to be less, you know, sort of reliable than ever. And I think everyone's sort of valuations are going to be less reliable than ever. So it's the year to admit that, you know, you don't know the year to accumulate more picks and take more chances because 
no one's gonna you know no one's gonna know some of these guys if they were Greg Russo comes back to school and looks no better than he did the year prior. That's a red flag. If he come, he could have come back to school though and looked uh, like Chase Young this past year because Chase Young didn't look like Chase Young as a true sophomore. You know, so there's that unknown for a lot of these guys that I believe actually the opt outs are going to get underrated because of that. Like I, I think they're going to be undervalued because the sort of out of sight, out of mind. It's almost impossible to have that inherent bias of regressing how good a guy is or not being able to see that progression. Uh, Whereas like, you know, so few guys don't progress throughout their college careers, especially the guys who opted out after their sophomore seasons, guys get better, like 19 and 20 year olds get better at football. So I I think they will be underrated to a degree. If I'm drafting uh, a guy somewhat highly, and it's a decision between a guy who opted out and I have similar, you know, the tape grade was similar and a guy who opted out and a guy who didn't opt out. I'll take the guy who opted out because I think he's, uh, you know, like I said, the progression, you can assume somewhat of a upward trajectory for guys in their college career. It's really interesting stuff. It'll be interesting to see if the NFL behaves the same way or if you see some risk aversion from, you know, these, these NFL programs that tend to run conservative in their team building approaches so often and and you see this risk aversion it's just something to watch we'll see what teams are taking more opt-outs than others and just something that will be an interesting trend that we can watch in this year's draft mike thanks so much for joining us you can find mike co-host of the two for one drafts podcast his draft guide is up over at pro football focus love his work every year factors heavily into our own risk assessment board that we put together every year. Appreciate the time and the thoughts joining the podcast today. For sure, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure to chat with Mike Renner. And just a reminder for upcoming programming this week, James and I have a bit of a split schedule for the next two days. The next podcast we publish will be mostly me. The day after that will be mostly James. Until then, Bengals fans, who day and have a good one.